Chip coming to bring us God's word this morning. Uh, Nate and I have grown over the past few years to be closer friends. I know he still loves my parents more than he loves me, and that's okay. Um, they're good people to love, but I have been privileged over the past couple of years to get to partner with Nate in some ministry. I know he's had me to, to preach at Forest, and we hadn't got a chance to get him out here yet, but him and I have also had the opportunity to, to talk some about the gospel and race with some folks and, and, and how, how those things mesh together to make much of the glory of God. So I'm excited. I'm excited to have him come and, and open the word uh, with you and, and to proclaim claim the gospel to you. And there's a lot of really nice things I could say about Nate, but Nate's such a humble guy that I'll just tell you this. You can't ask that that makes Nate. One of my favorite people is that Nate just loves Jesus. And you can't ask for a lot, a lot more than that. He loves Jesus and wants to make much of him. So I'm excited to have him come and bring God's word. I encourage you to, to, to engage with him, talk back to him. If he says something good, let him know. If he says something bad, well, I'll deal with that later. Uh, Hey, but I want to encourage you. Will y'all join me as we pray for, for Pastor Nate for just a moment before he comes and brings, brings the word to us. So let's go before the Father. Heavenly Father, we are privileged and honored to be counted as your children. And it, it amazes me, God, even as a pastor, that you would allow me to proclaim your good and your perfect word. We thank you that you use every one of us broken people to make much of you the perfect and good God. And so as, as Pastor Nate comes to bring, to bring this word that you have laid on his heart, Lord, I pray, same thing I prayed earlier for him, Lord, that you would just give him physical and spiritual strength to proclaim with boldness the truth of your word. And God, I pray that we would have hearts and minds that are ready and willing to receive because we know, Lord, that if we want to hear you speak, it's through your word. And so we are listening, God, for your fame and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome, Pastor Nate. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother, for such kind words. I am humbled, uh, so excited to be with you. We've been looking forward to this. Uh, let me uh, just let you know right now, I do, uh, uh, brother pastors, that's my brother. Like, I know y'all can see the resemblance. That's, that's my brother, and uh, that's Mama John and Mama Lynn, and they are genuinely my parents. And, uh, but the thing is, since I'm their favorite son, I, I like kind of stay on that side of town, so Mike will have his shine here. So, but I'm here today, and I just made it known that they love me more. But anyway, on behalf of the entire Forest Baptist Church, my family, we bring you greetings, and thank you again for the opportunity to be with you. Uh, if you would be so kind, open your Bibles, devices, whatever you have, and turn with me to Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter, and as you do, I just want to make mention about just the times we're, we're living in, right? Um, how much can be said about the past 18 months now? Uh, so much uh, has been going on. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of much racial animus, injustice, inequality, in the midst of uh, political polarization, increasing gun violence, wildfires, hurricanes. I mean, so much is going on, and it could come at you in, in a way that you just become overwhelmed, and, you, and, and your mind is, is in so many different places, because not only are you concerned about what's going on out there, you're concerned about what's going on in your own home and what's going on in your job and in the schools, and there's so much, and it's so easy to be overwhelmed. 
And even as you, we consider just what has been taking place the past 18 months, I believe, I truly believe that the Lord in His kindness is actually providing us with an opportunity. And over the past 18 months, as we considered the chaos and the, the vitriol, have you had the opportunity to consider the many opportunities that Jesus has provided for you to be more faithful for Him? Today, I do want you to consider those opportunities that the Lord has provided for your spiritual growth as a disciple of Jesus. Isn't it through the adversity of life that we really see God's hand upon our lives? Isn't that true of Romans, the fifth chapter and the third verse where he says, but we rejoice in our suffering, <laughs> knowing that suffering produces a endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Is that not true of James, the first chapter, where he says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, but we hate masks. And we hate what's going on in the government. And we push back against it and we say, no, you're not going to tell me what to do. Could it just be perhaps God is using the suffering of this time to produce into something that would not normally happen? The Apostle Paul models what Christian growth genuinely looks like even in the midst of adversity. That is when a Christian's light shines the brightest, right? When it's the darkest. This is our opportunity as Christians to shine so brightly that the world will have no choice but to see the glory of Jesus shining in and through us. This is our time. This is why I believe that Paul has a word for us here in Philippians, the third chapter. We're looking at verses 1 through 16. Philippians, the third chapter, looking at verses 1 through 16. I'm not sure what uh, what your traditions are, but normally at Forest Baptist Church, we have the opportunity to stand together and honor the reading of God's Word. So if you would, please stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Philippians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 16. This is the Word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I may myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a, per a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold to what we have obtained. And Lord, a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I just want to spend a moment speaking to you on the subject of pursuing gospel-centered growth. Pursuing gospel-centered growth. Why don't you pray with me? Gracious and eternal and glorious and faithful Father, blessed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, please come right now Bring forth heaven within our hearts that we may receive your word with joy and gladness. For it is through your word that we have life. Father, you have declared that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, uh, the soul and of the spirit, of the joint and of the marrow, and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Father, you know where we are today, and you know where we need to go. So by the power of your Spirit, I pray that you would draw our hearts near to you, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we would rejoice over the, the glories that are in your Word. Father, I ask that you would pour out a special blessing over, on this local congregation, this local fellowship of disciples. Father, may your hand of blessings be upon each and every family. Keep them from hurt, harm, danger, sickness, and disease. Yet, Lord, not our will, but your will be done. And Father, we ask that you would speak right now and that we will humbly listen. Father, please hide me behind Christ and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' precious name, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. So here in this text, the Apostle Paul, he is writing with a sense that he knows what hardship is. He knows a little bit about adversity because he's writing from uh, being in prison in Rome. And as he is writing this letter, he is uh, writing to this church in Philippi words of appreciation because of their faithfulness towards him. They, they have been concerned about him. They've been praying for him. They have been supplying his physical and material needs and he is giving them a word of thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being near. Thank you for caring about me. But in his words of appreciation, he gives them a word of warning. In his appreciation, he wants them to watch out for false teachers who have come amongst the church. And as he is discussing these false teachers, he wants them to understand that even in the midst of this hard situation, that they can remain focused and to grow in their faith in the midst of adversity, oppression, and chaos. 
Paul is writing to them because he wants them to be firmly rooted in their faith. He wants them to be like the Psalms, one individual who, who, who is, is firmly rooted. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then verse 3 says, he is like a tree planted by flowing streams of water who bears his fruit in the season and his leaf does not wither. He, he wants the church to be like that Psalms 1 individual that no matter the, the rains, the storms, the chaos, and the adversity, uh, that they will not fall or fall over because their roots has gone deep in the gospel. This is Paul's word to us today. He not only wants the Philippians to grow in the gospel, he wants us to grow in the gospel so that we are able to stand there for Big idea is simply gospel-centered growth is the result of a relentless pursuit of Jesus Christ alone. Gospel-centered growth is the result of a relentless pursuit of Jesus Christ alone. And when I say that, I say that not as this, uh, this, this, this gospel-centered catchword. I say this in the sense that the type of gospel-centered growth where Jesus is not the symbol of your faith, but the substance of your faith. You're not just a follower of Jesus on the outside, but he has done something on the inside that has rooted you and given you a weightiness to your faith that it can't be easily taken, swayed, disrupted. So what does a relentless pursuit of Jesus looks like? And this morning, I just want to be really practical, very simple and practical. So from the text this morning, I just want to uh, flush out eight different ways to experience gospel-centered growth. Eight ways to experience gospel-centered growth. And the first way I believe that uh, jumps off the, the, the scriptures in the text is simply you, you, you experience gospel-centered growth when you put no confidence in the flesh. This is what he's saying in verses 1 through 6. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Right there. Paul wants them to, to, to see the contrast between the selfish, self-grandizing life of the Judaizers and that of the Christ-centered life of the disciples. He, he wants them to see that those who have come in off the streets proclaiming to be one of them, but they are preaching a gospel that is contrary to what he has shared, that those are the ones that you need to watch out for. Don't try to be like them. Run away from them. Who are these Judaizers? Simply put, those Judaizers are, they're Jewish Christians who are trying to Judaize fellow Christians. And to Judaize them, they, they would point them to the Levitical law, the Mosaic law, and say that you would need to still follow the law in order to be rendered acceptable before God. You would still need to be circumcised in the flesh in order to be presented to, to God as one as holy as belonging to him. You would need to do this external performance in order to be accepted by Jesus. Paul knows this, this, this is anathema. This is something that will lead not to people drawing nearer to Christ, but 
being rejected and pushed further from Christ. These are the people that were in Acts, the 15th chapter, that they had the Jerusalem Council about where they said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So their message is, is one of Jesus plus. And beloved, anytime you hear a gospel of Jesus plus anything, that is a false gospel because we know Jesus is more than enough. These Judaizers would, would wear their religion on the outside like a robe, like a new jacket. They would they would prepare for, for worship service, and they would look in that closet and put on their uh, righteous robe, the one that looked nice, uh, it was fitted, and everyone would give them compliments. And as they walked outside, they would want people to see their righteous coat and to give them compliments and to make much of them because really their lives was all about them. And beloved, if we're not careful, we can get up in the mornings and open up our closet and pull out that coat of self-righteousness and put it on and go through the day putting everyone else down who doesn't have that same coat of righteousness. Knowing that at the end of the day, you don't keep that coat on, but you take it off. But Jesus is concerned about a righteousness that isn't uh, put on on the outside, but bubbles up from the inside. Like a spring of, of water, of living water that comes out of, of a fountain. He wants us to have that type of righteousness. And this is exactly why that Paul says, beware, beware, look out for the dogs who put confidence in religion. Religion, this false righteousness that's based on human initiative, this energy that is put out in order to gain spiritual favor. But Paul is saying that Christian confidence is not in our conduct. Our confidence is in Christ. And he's pointing them back to Jesus and what he has already accomplished on their behalf. The reason why he can say to Telestai, it is finished. The reason why he, he is able to say, this is, this is my blood and my body, which is broken for you. It wasn't their body or their blood. This is the blood of Christ. And, and Paul wants them to come back to their original love and to be reminded that Christ loves them not because of who they are, but because he chose to. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter how you used to be, no, no, no matter any of that, uh, no, not, no matter what your accolades or if you grew up and was on honor roll or if you was in detention all the time, what Jesus is saying, I, I love you not based upon how you can make me love you. I love you because I simply chose to. So Paul wants them to not put confidence in their abilities to be, in order to be loved by God, but to put confidence on Jesus who secured that love. And how does uh, Paul lay this out for us? He simply lays this out by giving his own testimony. And he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. He says, the circumcision that we have is a little different. Though we may be circumcised physically, we're, we only can worship by a spiritual circumcision. We need our heart circumcised. We need our heart removed, and we need a new heart, a heart that is ready, willing, and able to accept the truths of Christ. He's talking about that kind of heart. Because he says, you know why? You know why I know this? Because I've been there and done that. If you want to talk about somebody who got something to brag on, you need to look at me. 
He says, because I was circumcised on the eighth day. For him just to say that, lets it be known that he is a genuine Jew. It, because he was born into a Jewish family, the, the custom, the, the law would say on the eighth day, every male son would need to be circumcised. And if he was not circumcised on the eighth day, that family would be cast out of the covenant. You were supposed to in a Jewish family. He's saying, I'm, I, I got Jewish blood all up in me. He talks about his lineage of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrews of Hebrews. He is saying, uh, uh, I tried to be acceptable to God because of the family I was born in. And what Jesus wants us to know, he says, it doesn't matter if your daddy was a deacon, if your mother was on the usher board. It, It doesn't matter if your uncle was a preacher. It doesn't matter what your family is like. If you don't come to the foot of the cross yourself, you have no acceptance in the family of God. But not only does he say, my family can't get me saved, then he says, and my accomplishments couldn't get me saved. He says, I, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a, pers- a, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Y'all couldn't touch me. What Paul is saying, when it comes to being religious, you think you sweet, but I'm the goat. There's no one who's going to come uh, uh, in my wake, in my trail, who would have held on to the law and had the pedigree like me. But, but, but what Paul was saying, all of that he had achieved, all of that that was put at the bottom of his resume. You know how y'all like to do y'all resumes? Y'all be making up uh, acronyms, D-D-Y, this, this, and you just be putting them down there because it looks sophisticated. Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what's at the bottom of my resume. That will not bring me acceptance before the throne of God. What Paul is saying is that those who are circumcised on the inside truly belong to God. The first way that we experience any type of gospel-centered growth is when we put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in the flesh. But then secondly, we experience gospel center growth when you're willing to give up everything to gain Jesus. This is what he's talking about in verses seven and eight. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul, I'm sure, is considering Jesus and maybe even thinking, maybe he's been talking to the disciples in some way. And maybe he's heard the story in, in Luke 9, 25, where Jesus tells him what profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. Well, it doesn't matter if you got all the boats and all the... You, you ever seen those bumper stickers, like, and they talk about everything you got, and like, I won the game because they got boats and cars and clothes, and it, it, he, he's, he's saying, I'd rather that my soul be in the hands of Christ than anything else. So what Paul is saying, whatever success, whatever privilege, whatever... Uh, earthly glory, whatever earthly honor, whatever position, whatever possession you have, 
Are you actually willing to give it up for the sake of Jesus? Are you actually willing to let it go in order that you may gain Christ? A, this is a willingness to let go of all earthly glory in order to gain Jesus. This is the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew where Jesus talks about the man who uh, was working in a field. And, and as he was digging in the field, he found this treasure. And as you know, in ancient Near Eastern times, they didn't have banks like Chase PNC. So they would take all their wealth and they would go somewhere that only they knew. They would dig a hole and put all their earthly treasure into this hole. So apparently he was uh, on this field and he was working it in some way. And he found all of this treasure that was dug into, uh, that put placed into this hole and covered up. And instead of just trying to uh, continue to work, instead of just trying to, uh, to make it on what he was being paid, he said, you know what, I'm going to take all that I have and buy this land. Because when I buy this land, all of this earthly treasure will be mine. And then Jesus goes on to, to talk about the, uh, the parable of the, uh, the pearl. And, and there was a, uh, this pearl merchant who would go around uh, getting the best of all pearls. And at one location, he sees this one pearl that he, is so exquisite. It's one of a kind. No one else has anything like this. It's more valuable than all that he has. Now watch this. This is a little different because instead of walking up, the one who found the treasure, he didn't really have nothing. But the one, the merchant who had the pearl already had some pearls. He already had things of significant value. He already had stuff that the world would say ooh and ah over. But he was willing to give up all the oohs and the ahs in order for something greater that could only come from Jesus. So he sells all of his collection. He lets it all go, everything that he thought was probably valuable. But he lets it go. In order to gain the genuine treasure, this is what Paul is talking about. This is what kind of loss. He, all that he has, he says, it, it's nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Just knowing him. Beloved, you can't have full hands and hold on to Jesus at the same time. There's times when I go to the grocery store, I, grocery store I, I am a terrible grocery shopper because I just put stuff in, my, in the cart. I just put stuff in the cart. I don't look how much it is. And my wife was like, why'd you buy these? You should have bought these. I was like, it was just there. The kids wanted it. No, you don't. No, you don't just buy it because the kids want it. And, you know, and we go through this. So sometimes, and so I don't spend a lot of money. I just, I said, I'm not going to get a cart. I'm not going to get a basket. I'm just going to run in and grab a few things. But you know what they say? Don't go grocery shopping while you're hungry. Man. And there's times I go in and I was like, oh, that looks good. And, and I pick that up and, oh, we need, some, uh, we need a, a two liter of a pop. And, oh, we need some chips. And, and, and I get to the cash register. I got a handful of stuff. And, I, and I'm there at the cash register with hands full. And, 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 and it, it gets heavy. My knees, my knees is kind of weak. And then, you know they only got one checkout line open too, right? And the lady in front of me got a whole basket full of stuff, and she want to pay with a check. And I'm struggling trying to hold on to these groceries and, and trying to wait my turn, and, but I'm struggling, and, and, and I don't know how long I can make it. Beloved, 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 some of y'all got a handful of groceries, and you trying to hold out in your own strength. You trying to stand up, and Jesus is saying, put it down. Put it down. 
in order that you can receive me. You working so hard because you, because you want to rest, because you want a, a fat 401k, you, like you, you working so hard? He says, I, I'm the one who can give you rest right now. You, got, you ain't got to wait till your retirement age to get my rest. And he's calling you to let go of your earthly pleasures in order to gain him. Beloved, stop settling for less. There's a quote from J.I. Packard that I love, and I always quote it, because he says, the one whose treasure is Christ has all things in one. If Jesus is really your treasure, then you don't need anything else. Paul is saying, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to be willing to give up those pet sins, secret sins. You need to be willing to give up that relationship if it doesn't honor God. You need to be willing to give up that job if they're causing you to sin against God. You need to be willing to give up whatever uh, is hindering you from receiving me with open arms. We experience gospel-centered growth when we are willing to, get, willing to give up everything for Jesus. But then thirdly, you experience gospel-centered growth when you fully depend on Jesus for your righteousness. In verses 9 through 11, this is what he's saying, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him, in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the righteousness that Paul is speaking of. This is that right standing before God. That's simply what righteousness means, that you have right standing before God. Because in the Scriptures, it reveals two categories of individuals. Those who are trusting in Adam for their righteousness or those trusting in Christ. What do I mean? Well, the Bible reminds us that Adam in his sin failed. And whenever you are trusting in yourself, you will always fail. But then the other category is those who are trusting in Christ because he never fails. I was just listening to a gospel song last night, brand new gospel song, and, they, and, and the chorus just kind of went, uh, he's undefeated. He's never lost the battle. And that is the kind of God we serve where we know his promises are yes and amen because he never fails us. This is the type of relationship, this is the type of dependence where I'm not looking at my ability to do anything well. I'm looking to Jesus for everything. And I love, and I love how Paul frames this because in his framing right here, he gives us this theological treatise. Because he says, and, and found in him. He breaks out some theology books. He says, pull out your groove and I'm going to let you look at what, what, what Erickson is talking about to be united with Christ. To be united with Christ is when you get to the point where, where because of Jesus and who he is and his blood and his life now covers your life. And now when you are presented to the father, the father doesn't see you in all your mess, but he sees his son and all his splendor and glory. 
And to be in Christ means that, that you, are, you are securely attached to him and all that he will have and possess for all eternity. So Paul says, I want to be united with Christ, but not only that, he gives us the definite of justification because he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That's justification. To be declared guilty from birth, for we are born in sin. And shaped in iniquity. And we stand guilty before the throne of God. But because of what Christ has accomplished on your behalf, when we stand before the judge, the, the judge declares us not guilty. We have been justified. We are uh, as if we were uh, uh, the ones living out the life of Christ. It has been accredited to our account. We have been justified. But not only that, Paul goes on and said, we've been sanctified. Because he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrections, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How many of y'all know if you want to be sanctified, you got to die? Sanctification is that everyday process of dying to yourself and what you want, that Jesus Christ may live within you, leading you to what he wants. Paul wants to be unified and justified and sanctified, but don't forget about this. He wants to be glorified, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Beloved, when the trumpet uh, sound and the dead in Christ will be raised first to meet him in the air. He said, those, you may be out in the field, you, you may be minding your own business and you will be caught up. And when you're caught up, you're going to receive that glorified body just like Jesus you ain't got to worry about dying with this body. You ain't got to worry about the COVID-20 with this body. You ain't got to worry about uh, arthritis in this body. You ain't got to worry about diabetes and cancer and sickness. You ain't got to worry about COVID in this body. He's talking about looking like Jesus, but it all comes from depending on his righteousness alone. We grow in, in the gospel when we uh, only depend on Jesus for his righteousness, but then fourthly, we experience gospel-centered growth when you acknowledge your imperfection. Verse 12, Paul says, now this is the goat, right? Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. The goat is able to say he ain't already there. He ain't already got it together. So what Paul is pointing to in this verse, he's pointing back to verse 11. Not that Paul has already attained his glorified body and been perfected. So, beloved, if you ain't got your glorified body, that means you ain't perfect. Oh, wait, 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 let me break that down. If you ain't got your glorified body, that don't mean you always right. If you don't have your glorified body, that means you fail and you do wrong. And Paul is saying this, that though he's not been perfected, he says, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm still growing. I'm still growing. What Paul is talking about is a conscientiousness leading to a self-awareness about your own sin in your own life. Because you know how we do, right? We can see everybody else's blind spots, but we don't see ours. That's why they call them blind spots. 
That's why we need the body of Christ to speak into our lives. That's why we need the community of believers because we can't see our blind spots. But, but, but the type of posture that will humbly say, you know what, I might be wrong on this. You know what, that I could be off on this understanding of, of God's word that's not central to the gospel. I, maybe I should listen a little bit more than speaking so much. Beloved, I believe a lot of times we forget what we used to be, where we used to go. Uh, beloved, I pray you got a used-to-be story. I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home all your life and was homeschooled. I hope you got a used-to-be story. Uh, may, maybe if you grew up in a Christian home and you was homeschooled, maybe you used to be prideful. Maybe you used to have hubris and just thought you was all that. Maybe you thought you, you, you was just uh, fundamentalist and legalistic and that if, if you didn't do church a certain way that you wouldn't see Jesus. Or maybe you just off the street where you used to club on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, used to be up at church because grandma made you go, but you smell like smoking weed and you left there and still got high. Man, I don't know what you used to be. But what Paul is saying through Christ Jesus he, he may not be what he ought to be, but he so ain't what he used to be. It's this type of Christian growth that comes from a continual confession of sin and dependence on grace. Fifthly, you experience gospel-centered growth when you appreciate and appropriate what Jesus has accomplished for you. Look here in 12b, because he says, uh, I am not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Out of a heart of appreciation and gratitude, Paul saying, I'm going to chase after Jesus. I was reading just the other day, this, I forget why I was reading, but it was a, it was a great quote. And it says, expectation is the enemy of gratitude. Paul understood that he couldn't save himself. He understood what kind of a wretch he was. Oh, wretched man that I am. So when it came to Jesus laying down his life, he had great gratitude. He appreciated Christ. But not only did he appreciate, not only did he come to the synagogue and sing songs, not only did he raise his hands high, but he took those truths and applied them to his life. It was like Paul, even as he was writing 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter and the 15th verse, he said, and Christ died for all, and those that he, 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 he died for, they uh, live no longer for themselves, but for the one for whom he died and was raised. So because Jesus is my life now, I don't live for me, I live for him. Or maybe it's the 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, which says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, he, and it's walking in a newness of life. So part of growing in gospel-centered growth Having gospel center growth is this appreciation and appropriation of what Jesus has done. It is him and him alone. Sixthly, gospel center growth is experienced when you are forward looking in your faith. What do I mean? Verse 13, he says, but brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
Paul is talking about a, what, a what's next life rather than a what was life. Beloved, have you ever met people who seem to live in the rearview mirror of their life? Oh, I used to be, in high school, I was a five-star athlete. Oh, back in the day, I had so much passion and joy for the Lord. Oh, you know, I used to serve as an usher. I used to uh, serve as a trustee. And, and, and all of the stories are I used to. Beloved, that's not how you grow. We can't continue to look in a rearview mirror and expect continued transformation today. But I, I believe there's two errors specifically. Paul, Paul is saying, uh, as you're looking back, he said, you are forgetting your failures. You're forgetting just how despicable your sin was before God. You forget about all those stupid sins, those failures that just weigh on you even now, those moments that you wish you would have, those moments of regret. Paul says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. Because that regret and that bitterness that is bound up can hold you from moving forward. So Paul says, I'm forgetting my failures, but I'm also forgetting my successes. I'm going to forget about the the revival I was able to preach last year or the, the soul that I was able to lead to Christ last month. He says that those things are all great and fine and good, but as I'm pursuing the kingdom, I got to leave that stuff behind because I'm moving forward. You need to have the type of life that looks forward to the next. Seventh, gospel center growth comes when you are looking forward to heaven. Oh, beloved, this is something I, I think we fail to do so often. We have become so earthly minded that we are so in tune with what's going on down here that we forget that we got a home in glory. When, when Paul says press, he's talking about an active commitment to the call of Jesus Christ. He just wants to move forward. He wants to be, no matter what comes around, what may uh, come in his way, he says, I'm going to press forward. Though the pandemic might be raging, I'm going to press forward. Though injustice is around me everywhere, I'm going to press forward. I'm not going to let anything stop me from looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Though this government may be filled with hypocrisy, I'm still going to press. There's a song we used to sing back at my home church that used to remind us about heaven. They, they would start like, someday, someday I will be called up to meet him. Want to be ready when he comes. There will be peace, love, joy, and happiness. No more sorrow. Want to be ready when he comes. They would break out in three-part harmony. Sopranos would say, I just want to see his face. I just want to see his face. The altos will come in. I just want to see his face and thank him for his saving grace until my Savior tells me, well done. 
I just want to see his face and thank him for his saving grace until my Savior tells me, well done. Then attendance will come in. Just like, I just want to see his face. And it, it will all come together. And it was a glorious moment because we weren't thinking about what was going on down the street. We weren't concerned about what was happening at home. Because in that moment, we just wanted to see his face and behold the glory of Christ in heaven. Don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Lastly, gospel center growth comes when you keep holding on. Verse 15 to 16, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And beloved, you know what? I'm just going to be real. Sometimes in this Christian walk, all we can do is hold on. Those nights when we don't have the words to pray. where it feels like we're sinking in the ocean of despair. And it feels like we don't have any answers, which we don't. Those are the times where, where I believe that where, 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 where the Spirit just moans and groans for you. Those moments where the only, you, only, you can only get out those one-word prayers, Jesus. Jesus, fix it. Come. And it's in those moments that the, the scriptures ring loud. How weeping may last for the night. But joy comes in the morning. He's talking about just, hold, just holding on long enough. Because Jesus got you. And he's talking about persevering as one who loves Christ. Not giving up because it didn't go your way. But not, not well, I tried Jesus and it didn't work. No! Holding on. Because those who hold on reveal the truth of Ephesians 1 and 13. Where he says, in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy, uh, promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your salvation until you receive it. And if you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, just hold on. gospel center growth is the result of intentional love for Jesus. You know, in our backyard, we got... I love this neighbor. His name is Mr. Alexander. And Mr. Alexander, he grows the best garden on the block, period, hands down. It's the sweetest garden. And every single year, I see him in the springtime get out there with his tiller, and he's tilling up the ground. He's preparing, and he's taking out all the stones, and he's getting the soil ready. And then 
Uh, I, I have conversations with Mr. Alexander over the fence, and he said, yeah, last year I tried these tomatoes, and he always gives us a whole bunch of tomatoes, and that's like, oh, I said, Mr. Alexander, those yellow ones, I don't know what they were, they were just delicious. He said, oh, yeah, I might try this and that, and, and, and then he goes and he gets a seed, and be, he begins to put them in the ground, and he waters them, and he tends to them, and then throughout the summer as they're growing, he goes back out, and he pulls the weeds, and, and they're growing, and then this summer we've experienced the glory of his tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis and all of that fresh fruit is so delicious. Mr. Alexander has faith that the work he's put in will produce a great harvest. And beloved, as Christians, sometimes we get it exactly the opposite of Mr. Alexander. Because there's many times where you want what we want in our lives, we want our lives to be filled with fertile ground without having to remove any weeds. You expect growth in areas of life where you haven't planted any seed. You want fruit without the faith. But Jesus is saying, trust in my righteousness alone and I will produce within you a harvest. Beloved, I just stopped by to ask you this morning, what kind of fruit are you growing in your garden? Are you growing in contentment or are you growing in complacency? Are you growing in wisdom or are you growing in just information? Are you growing in kindness or are you growing in indifference? Are you growing in bitterness or are you growing in compassion? Is the gospel-centered life being pursued by you? But I'm glad in this text that Paul does remind us of something so important. Because in verse 10, he says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's it right there. Because change comes by knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Change comes when we place our trust not in our own story, but that old story. You know the story where Jesus sitting on high. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. And he took on the form of a servant and came down some 42 generations in order to be born of a virgin in that town of Bethlehem. You know that story where Jesus grew up and, and he, 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 he lived a life just like you and just like me. And that story where, where Jesus went on a ministry field and he began teaching and preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that story where, where Jesus would go out and he would give sight to the blind. He would heal the lame and cause the dead to get up. The story where Jesus was able to walk on the sea, and when it was off the hook, he said, peace, be still. You know that old story where, where Jesus took his disciples and said, just give me that piece of bread, I'm going to make a buffet. You know that story where Jesus was able to cast out demons and, and set the captives free, but that same story where he's betrayed by one of his own. And they took him, and they took him into, from courtroom to courtroom. And that story where he was falsely accusing and falsely beating it. And that same story where he was beaten and spat upon. That same story where Jesus was, was broken for you and for me. And that same story where, where as they were looking at him, they were, instead of wanting Jesus, they wanted Barabbas. They were rejecting him. But it's that same story that though Jesus walked the dusty roads of Nazareth and, and Bethlehem, but they, on his last walk, they walked him up the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. 
that same story, they took him to the, 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 the mountain of Golgotha, uh, Calvary, and where they uh, uh, placed uh, one nail in his left hand and his right hand. And that same story, they placed nails in his feet. And that same story where they stretched him uh, wide and hung him high. But it's that same story that he said to tell us that it is finished. Father, I commit my spirit unto you. And he hung his head and died. But it's that same gospel story that he surrendered his life. And in surrendering his life, they placed him in a borrowed man's tomb where he laid all day Friday night, all day Saturday night. But you know how the preacher say early one Sunday morning. He got up. It's the story of how he was victorious over sin and death. And now he was placed in the, in, in the position of exaltation where his name is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And it is that story of surrender that the grace that we need has been supplied. So today, we don't walk out of here thinking, I just need to try harder. We say, no, I just need to keep on looking. And we look to Jesus through repentance and faith. And through looking at Jesus, he provides us the grace we need to grow. Beloved, never forget that old story about how grace was secured for you. Because through that very grace... He is allowing gospel-centered growth for both you and for me. Christ is not one we add to our lives. He's one we lose our lives for. Gospel-centered growth is the result of a relentless pursuit of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. And how you love us so much. You love us in spite of us. And that through your divine surrender, allowing your body to be broken for us, you have secured a salvation that is only applied by grace through faith. So, Father, we ask that you would pour out into our hearts a, a new love for you a new pursuit of you, and that you will receive maximum glory from our lives in these dark and sinful days. May the people of God shine brightly. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 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 Well, brothers and sisters,